Go with me, please, to Exodus 26. Exodus 26. Now, our passage tonight uh, will bleed over into Exodus 36. So I told you 26, but I was wrong. Go to 25, chapter 25 in Exodus. The last time we were together, uh, we finished up last Wednesday night our message about uh, when Moses came down off the mountain and the people had committed idolatry, who was on the Lord's side, and God told them to consecrate themselves. So the time when Moses was on the mountain, there with the Lord and the people were down at the base of the mountain, God was giving Moses a set of instructions. And it's chapter after chapter after chapter of specific instructions for the people. So much so that it's very tedious and God was very specific for a reason. And so that's the passage where we're in tonight and just some specific things and what the Lord was doing was He was giving civil law, He was expanding on that, He was expanding on the moral law, and He was expanding or giving what we call the ceremonial law. Some of the instructions specifically had to do with the development of the tabernacle or the construction of the tabernacle. At this time in their history, they didn't have a tabernacle. In other words, when they would meet with God, or Moses was the one who would go meet with God, but the Lord wanted a place. He wanted a place, a centralized place, where God, representingly, could meet with the people. And so the Lord gives instructions, as we're about to read, and He says, I want you to construct a tabernacle. Now, there's another word that is used sometimes in this passage or in the Old Testament, the sanctuary. Also referred to in some places as the tent of meeting. Literally, it means the meeting tent. The place of meeting. Well, who meets there? Well, God does. God's wanting them to know, look, I want to meet with you <laughs> By the way, don't we see that illustrated even all the way back in Genesis where God would come meet with Adam and Eve and God would come walking in the cool of the day and He met with Adam and Eve and, and we have that here. And, and, and God over and over and over again is emphasizing to you and I, even today in 2020, that you know what? The Lord wants to meet with us and He wants us to meet with Him. And thank God because of the cross. <laughs> That's the perfect and culminating example of God's desire to meet with us and us to be able to meet with Him. So tonight as we go through this passage, I want to I begin by asking you this question. What is the difference between the word opportunity and obligation? Answer that in your own heart and mind for just a moment. What's the difference in your mind between opportunity and obligation? There is a difference. 
Let's, let's take, for instance, Sunday morning, if you were watching, I shared some very uh, embarrassing for me uh, illustrations of mistakes I made early on in my marriage. <laughs> little, little disagreements that um, I created with my wife. And, you know, I'm glad she didn't amen that. But anyway... I think back to those early days of marriage, and let's just suppose that somewhere hanging around the office, you know, it got what I call quitting time. Time to go to the house. And let's just say that routinely that I walked around the office saying, well, looking at my watch, <sighs> well, I reckon I got to go home. I reckon I got to go home. What if, I, what if I said that day after day after day? Now, first of all, for a newly married man to be walking around with a mully grubs at the office when it was quitting time saying, well, I, I reckon I have to go home. You think, son, what is wrong with you? You got a problem. But let's say that the narrative was changed. And instead of me saying, well, I reckon I got to go home. What if, even before quitting time, I'm like, <laughs> I get to go home. I get to go home. I can't wait to go home. <laughs> I love my wife so much. She is such a wonderful person and a wonderful cook. Amen. And, I'm, and all those things are true. And she's so awesome. I'll I can't wait to go home. I can't wait till it comes quitting time so I can get in my little vehicle and go to the house. I get to go home. You see the difference? One is opportunity. I get to do this. The other one is one is, I get to go home, and the other one is, I got to go home. Like, I'm going to be in trouble if I don't go home. One's opportunity, one's obligation. Now, let me, let me transition and ask you this question before we read the text here. Which attitude do you think the Lord wants you and I to have and to operate our life by when it comes to serving Him. Think about that just a moment. Do you believe God is more honored if we operate just out of obligation? Well, I have to go to church. <laughs> I have to give. Well, I reckon I have to, I have to pray. <laughs> I reckon I have to witness. <laughs> Reckon I have to forgive somebody when they make me mad. Well, why, why, why are you doing that? Well, well, I'm obligated to. See, that's one attitude. But what about the Christian that says, you know what? It's not just an obligation because God told me to. It's an opportunity. Hey, I get to go to church. I get to pray. I get to read the Word. I get to give. I get to serve. I get to be involved. 
It's not that I just, I have to. <laughs> no. I get to. I want to ask you a question tonight, gang. Where are you and what attitude, with what attitude do you live your Christian life? Do you have the I got to attitude or do you have the I get to attitude? I can tell you this. I want you to hear my heart. Do you know that people around you can detect whether you have a have to or a get to spirit? By the way, you show me a church that's dominated by the have-to crowd, <laughs> and I'll show you a church that's drier than last year's popcorn. Right? But you show me a crowd that's dominated by the get-to people, that's where I want to be. Now, that place is warm, I love that. I'd love to be around that kind of atmosphere and environment. I get to do this for Jesus. I get to give. For you like me who still write out your tithe check, when you write your tithe check out, do you, do you say, oh, <laughs> or do you say, thank you, Jesus? I get to give to you. When you walk by the offering box, the collection box, do, before you drop it in the little sliver, do you, do you have a little bit of the spiritual mully grubs or do you have a little sense in you that's like, praise God. When you're getting up on Sunday morning and you're trying to get your little munchkins or if like us, the bigger munchkins up and getting them ready, do you, is, is it just, oh, oh, another Sunday morning, oh, hey, or is it, hey, praise Jesus. I got a local church to go to. I got a place where I can go assemble with the body of Christ and man, I can lift up my voice and sing and I can get my heart and mind ready to open my Bible and follow the preacher. I get to go to church. I get to sing. I get to give a track out. I get to talk to somebody about Jesus this week. I don't know who it's going to be, but I believe God's going to lead me to somebody. And I get to share Jesus with somebody. I get to teach a Sunday school class. I get to teach at Faith Christian Academy. I get to serve in some way. I get to be a greeter. I get to, boy, this is heavy. I get to serve in Top Town. <laughs> you see, attitude makes all the difference in the world. I have to. That's obligation. Opportunity says, no, oh, I get to. Look at verse 1 of chapter 25. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. Literally, an offering lifted up, or the word means a heave offering. And basically, it, you know, first time I read that, I have in my mind. Of course, you, you, know, you know your preacher has a warped mind, but I'm like, heave, 
you know, but that's not it. It literally meant an offering lifted up, like we would lift up our hands. And they literally, the high priest would stand before the Lord and he would take that offering and raise it up and heave it up like before the Lord and basically say, now, Lord, this is for you. That's what is meant by the word offering. Lord, this is for you. My life is for you, Romans 12, 1. I offer everything to you, Lord. I lift it up to you. I lift my praise up to you. I lift my prayers up to you. I lift my heart today up to you. I want to be your tabernacle, your dwelling place. I want you to be glorified in me, Lord. I lift myself up to you. And we see that pictured here in verse 2. Now notice this. Of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart, ye shall take my offering. Now here's what the Lord's saying. He's saying, I want you to take the offering and receive it from everybody who gives it with a willing heart. In other words, all right, I want you to bring an offering, people. People bring me an offering. But when you bring it, now priest, you be sure that you take it from people that are offering it with a willingness. Not a sense of obligation, but a sense of privilege and opportunity. From a, and the word is, a willing heart. This is the offering, verse 3, which we sh ye shall take of them gold, silver, brass, blue, purple, scarlet, and fine linen, goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, badger's skins, shittim wood, oil for the light, spices for anointing oil and for sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod. That was the linen ephod or the, the covering that the high priest would wear and the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary, God said, that I may dwell among them. So what we have here, verses 1 through 8, don't lose me now, the Lord instructed Moses to tell the people to supply the necessary materials to build the tabernacle. He then specifies the exact materials that were needed to complete the task. Now do this for me. Turn to chapter 36 real quick in your Bible. Go to chapter 36. Because from chapter 25 all the way to chapter 36, the Lord is continuing to give specific details about the construction of the tabernacle. And guess what? The people are starting to respond to it. And others are starting to get involved in bringing the material and getting involved in the work. Look at verse chapter 36, verse 1. Then wrought Bezalel. Now, Stop right there. You say, preacher, who's Bezalel? Well, Bezalel was the chief architect or the chief artisan of the tabernacle. It was his primary job. By the way, God had gifted this man, Bezalel, to be able to construct and design and followed God's directions about the design. He was, he was good with, uh, uh, we would say he was a, not just a carpenter, 
but he was like a mason worker, a stone smith, or a metal smith, or a craftsman when it came to construction and stonework and metalwork and all that. He was so gifted. Now, brother, let me just go ahead and tell you, that isn't me. I can't even build a doghouse, all right? And that's even if you leave me instructions. <laughs> I can't even draw one on a piece of paper. <laughs> so I marvel at people like this who have a design. My stepdad was like that. He could look at something. He didn't even have to have plans in front of him. He could look at something one time, analyze it, study it. If it was made out of wood, I promise you, he could go build an exact replica of it. (laughs) I've never been able to do anything like that. (laughs) I marvel at people who can. And this was one of those guys, gifted, gifted at construction. And God said, all right, I'm handpicking Bezalel. I've gifted him. Notice this. That, isn't this cool? That before Bezalel was even born, you know what God did in his goodness? He designed Bezalel with the ability to be able to do this in eternity past. Now that's cool to me. And God raised him up. By the way, can I just throw this out there to you? Isn't it awesome that God has designed you with a certain giftedness and ability to be able to utilize that same giftedness for the work of the kingdom and the glory of the king? Oh, it may not be the constructing of the tabernacle. You may be like me, construction challenged. But you have a different skill set and a different gift and a different ability. Thank God for those of you that are utilizing that for the work of the kingdom. Some of you have the gift of hospitality. Some of you have the gift of giving. And while giving is commanded, do you realize that God blesses some people to be gifted as givers? They have what Proverbs talks about, a bountiful eye. That means that they're looking for opportunities to encourage somebody and bless the work of God through giving. There's the gift of teaching and the gift of helps and the gift of administration. All these things, and I could go on and on. The gift of service and the, even the gift of healing, which practically, tangibly speaking, in 2020, those of you that are nurses or doctors or work in the medical field, do you realize that you are exercising the gift of healing? You see, every single one of us in this room has been gifted by God from eternity past with some type of ability to be utilized for His glory and for His kingdom's sake. So God raises up this man, Bezalel, and He says, now, listen, here's the deal. I want the people to bring the materials. He had already placed in their hands the necessary materials that he was going to use and that were needed to construct the the tabernacle. And then he raises up Bezalel. And then he gives Bezalel an assistant. 
His name was Aholiab. He's mentioned right here in verse 1, Aholiab, he was the deputy architect of the tabernacle. And then, this is cool to me too, the Lord surrounds these two with other men and women who have the same gifts and abilities. He says, in every wise-hearted man, in whom the Lord put wisdom and understanding to know how to work all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary. In other words, the Lord put together all the men and women, the ones who were skilled at sewing and linen and putting all this together perfectly and it matching and all the seams being perfect. Those who constructed and those who designed and those who dealt with the stonework and the metal work and all that. And God put this incredible team of people together. And Moses, verse 2, called Bezalel and Aholiab and every wise-hearted man in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come into the work to do it. Again, notice this, gang. It wasn't out of obligation. It was because they had a stirred-up heart. Can I stop and ask you a question as we come down the home stretch tonight? And we're going to finish this later. When is the last time, though, friend, that you did something for Jesus just because your heart was stirred up to do it? One of the plagues of 2020 Christianity is ho-hum spirituality. Are you with me? Just going through the motions. I'm afraid we live our lives, most of us, most days in a ho-hum way. passionless. Very little enthusiasm, very little zest, very little life. Let's just make it through the day. As soon as I drag my carcass out of bed in the morning before my heat ever hit the floor, my heat ever hit the floor. That's good. <laughs> before my feet ever hit the floor, I have no idea what I was thinking there. I was thinking about feet. Right? <laughs> We're thinking about, most of us are thinking about already at the end of the day. How can I hurry up and finish the day? <laughs> Living for Friday. Isn't that what people say? Living for the weekend. You say, well, that's not me. I'm a Christian. <laughs> but we exhibit the same attitude, don't we? I just <laughs> I just can't wait to make it to Friday. Hey, don't you think the Lord, isn't he big enough to help us with the mully grubs and the lack of life and zest and passion? Man. They were stirred up in their heart. Oh, for God to be so real to me and so close to me and me so close to him. That I do stuff 
because he stirred me up to do it. When's the last time you got a burden for a soul or a sinner? God just stirred you up. Man, you couldn't get that person off your heart. I got to go talk to him. Lord just stirred me up and put him on my heart. When's, when's the last time the Lord just told you in your spirit, hey, I want you to go do this. Okay, Lord. God just stirred you up to go do it. Wow. God help us. And we're going we're gonna to go through this and break this down. I, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you this, that, that, that God had a definite work that he wanted to accomplish. And he didn't want people that just did it because of obligation. Mm -mm. He wanted people to get involved out of privilege and opportunity. He was looking for the get-to crowd, not the have-to crowd. I want to be in the get-to crowd. How about you? And all God's people said, <laughs>